Welcome to the Rock Out of Podcasting. I am Charles McFall, the aforementioned Rock Out of Podcasting. And I'm here to bring you some entertainment, some answers to your life, perhaps some Tony Robbins motivation meets Kevin Smith's storytelling with a little Jim Swilly truth in there. So, hey, we are all about you asking the question. And I say we because Mike is here on the line with him. Mike is my producer, all around amazing guy. And, you know, few people know this. Few people know this. He actually is Daredevil, but we can't really talk about that. <laughs> so uh, I love having Mike. So when I say we, it's not the royal we. Mike is always always with me somewhere in spirit, if not in presence. And so what's your questions? Email me your question, uh, rgop at charlesmcfall.com. Anything goes. And I know uh, we got the 50th episode coming up. We're going to do that live on Facebook and do it open to where everybody can be a part of that and just rapid fire, shoot that up. And we'll be announcing the exact date and time uh, coming up shortly because we're still in the mid-30s on the recordings. So that's what we're doing. But with all that being said, Mike, what do we have for a question today? All right, sir. Um, This one sort of references a few other episodes because you, you can't really talk about your life without touching base on your life with Aaron. You know, Mrs. McFall is is very much a part of everything that you do. And if you're not doing it with her, you're doing it for her uh, and the kids, of course. But uh, but I, I want to talk about Aaron specifically. What's it like being married to Aaron McFall? <laughs> that is is a part one, two, three, four and five show. I think uh, we might have going on there. That's a great question, and I believe that actually originated from our, our Mordant Mon, and I want to say thanks for that question. And uh, we've been, we've been, Mike's been thinking about that. He watches the stuff we talk about and watches the things that I post on Facebook, and I uh, always love that kind of attention. I do. Uh, you know what? I'm going to skip to something that just happened uh, last night. So uh, I am one of the co-founders of Giant Size Team Up Network, and I do a lot of comic book stuff and a lot of games and a lot of videos and those kind of things. And we're ramping up our marketing, right? We're trying to get more content out and in a good way. And big excited about things. And Iron Fist, at the time of this recording, has just recently been dropped by Netflix. Or, or launched, I guess is a better word, by Netflix so we can see it. And I wanted to do a reaction video. And Erin has been watching it with me. She's doing some of the funniest shit. She is, she is just, she's doing some of the funniest stuff. That she, it's annoying, because I want to be in the show. I want to be encased in, in by the story, right? I want to be enraptured or whatever the word I'm looking for is. And she just doesn't care. She's just mocking it and saying funny things. And it is actually really funny what she's saying. So, anyway, I, I'm doing a video that she won't do with me because she's all in the moment. She's like, I don't know what I said during the show, and I don't really care to talk about it afterwards. It's not something. It's just fine. It's fun. So, all right, so I'm, I'm doing a video on my own, and... And this and that and the other. Well, when we go to bed, she she uses her phone for an alarm. And so she tends to browse iFunny and see the funny things right before bedtime. And she tends to look at uh, Facebook a little bit. And I came in from doing something in the kitchen. I came in to get ready for bed. And there's my voice coming from her phone. And she's watching the video I had done earlier in the evening. And she'd actually come in on me doing it and was in it for a brief second or two. And I said, oh, look at you stalking me on Facebook. She's like, yeah, why not? But she was smiling. And what's, what I really love about that, when I talk about I love that kind of attention, and I do, I do love when I've done something that you enjoy and you let me know that I've touched your life. That That is super 
important to me. That's one of my love languages, I guess. Either the new modern love languages, like my post. <laughs> but in all seriousness, when you feed back and say something as a creator, to uh, uh, me being the creator, we co-create together. So when you touch base like Phil Ramos has, and when you touch base like Mike does every week, and like Angie is in the chat room for the live recording right now, and when you do these things, it, it, it helps shape and create better things. And, and that's how I feel. So getting that feedback is awesome. But having the most important person in my life, you know, watching it. And she wasn't – she could have just ignored it. She knew I did it. She was there for the back half of the recording. It was only six minutes long. So it wasn't like she missed something. or She's interested in what I do. And that, that means that means so much to me. So let's go, let's go back to some – Crazy universal stuff, okay, kids? Hold on to your belts. It's going to get a little, little, uh, it might get a little out there for you. Uh, I, one of my earliest memories, and I don't mean like as a child, what's your earliest memory? I just mean one of the things that really locked in for me. I've always been a sci fi kid, and being raised in a Baptist home, that's kind of a bad mixture, right? And I'll tell you why. Because my parents, and I, I this is all good. Don't get me wrong, but my parents always talk about faith and believing in God and, and this and that and the other and and faith in things unseen and God has a plan and, and different things like that mixed with my love of science fiction and believing that there is magic in the world. And that's a whole other thing we can talk about someday. And I, I Yeah. Not understanding the concepts of co-creating and bending the universe to your will. And I mean that. I'm talking about being a 12-year-old kid. Dreams, you know, a lot of the science fiction stuff I read, people talk to you in dreams, blah, blah, blah. And I've always, you know, been grown up closed-minded about different things. And, and there's different areas that you might be surprised. Oh, you talk about this, and then you bring something to me like, no. Mm -mm. This one time I had this person in my house as a guest. <laughs> so she didn't know this. But we had the house built for us. There was nothing on this land before we bought it and built the house. And she was staying in my house by herself. And all of a sudden, she's texting my other friend and going, oh, I see ghosts in this house. And I was like, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. And my friend tried to explain, no, no, she's I was like, no, she's full of shit. I could have an open-minded discussion about ghosts with people, but you better drop the bullshit. You better drop the TV drama. You better drop, because my, my biggest bullet to you is going to be why. Why? Why would this happen? Why would, why, why, you know, not that I'm not a fan of Supernatural. Love Supernatural, but that's a fictional show. Just saying. I, anyway, 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 I'm getting, off, I'm getting off track. I'm getting off track. Mike asked me, what's it like being married to Aaron? So, here's what I'm trying to get to. When I was around 12 or 13 years old, maybe 14, is in that same time period. Now, yes, a, a major trauma happened in my life when I was 12. That was when the church did its thing and we got booted to the, the street and all that. So I think it was 14 years old or a little bit later uh, that uh, I realized, you know, I was destined for greatness. I told that story. But dreams come and go, right? I'm talking about the dreams you have when you're sleeping as opposed to the dreams you have for your life where one day you want to be such and such and one day you want to grow up and do this or that. Dreams, when you sleep, sometimes you can remember parts of them, sometimes you can't. Some people maybe have total recall. I have no idea. There are mornings where I can wake up and I can tell you what I just dreamed about or had been dreaming about, and then it'll fade through the day. But every once in a while, stuff will come along. And I've talked about this a little bit on the show before too, about that it'll just lock in. And I have those deja vu moments, for lack of better words, where I know I haven't been here before. I just know I saw this in a dream before. 
this moment in time, blah, blah, blah. I had this dream, and I feel like I'm trying to be Martin Luther King. I had a dream. Uh, but this is definitely between 13 and 16, because I know where I was in life. I was in Tifton, Georgia, and we were at uh, what that church. that I, for, I honestly forget the name of the church we were at in Tifton, but we were living in the house. I, I remember all this. So I would have, you know, I'd have all kind of regular dreams and this and that and the other. God, you know, awkward, weird side moment. I can remember my first wet dream, but you probably don't even want to know about that. <laughs> I know Angie died, and Angie's like, shut. So I will stop that one now. It was a regular dream, you know, chaotic, right? Things are going on. And I remember it because somehow it took a shift. It took a lock. It took a, a moment. I don't know when I woke up. I really have no idea if I slept the rest of the night and woke up or if I woke up right after the dream or whatever. But the dream was going crazy, right? I, I was at a hospital. I think I was there for the birth of, of a, one of my kids. And I mean, this isn't anything. This is just a random dream. I mean, I'm 14 years old. I was always family-oriented. I was always family oriented growing up. Uh, wanted to, you know, uh, to get married and have a family, those kind of things. Angie, <laughs> the live chat says, I was actually I was thinking about saying, get to the point, bitch. <laughs> the point is, it's a chaotic dream. Nothing really matters except I kind of remember the lead in. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of this chaotic dream where I'm, I can't control what's going on, I'm at a hospital, I have a kid, but we're naming it something weird. All of a sudden, everything changes. And it becomes locked in to I saw what I believed was going to be my wife. And I could see her from head to toe, except for her face. The face was obscured. But I could I could see everything. I could see the moment. I could see how she stood and this and that and the other. And instantly, my sleeping brain was like, what the fuck? I mean, because it wasn't a dream. I mean, it literally was just go along with the dream, whatever. And boom, this this moment happens. And the next day, whenever I wake up, whatever it was going on, I tell my mom about it. I don't remember what she had to say about it, but you know, I, I tell her, uh, you know, this thing. And I mean, it's not much to say. Even at 14, it's like, I have no idea what this is. But I've never had a dream like that. And I mean, I, I, to this day, I remember exactly the dream. I mean, I can tell you to the point, it, it was just weird moment that locked into my brain did i fill in some gaps i am sure scientifically speaking i probably filled in some gaps later on in life but that's the dream so i was always this romantic at heart i was always this guy i i watched uh 16 candles growing up i watched uh, uh john cusack holding up the the boom box one i can't think of the name of that movie I mean, I was always a romantic. I was always a guy who wanted to be the hero because the hero gets the girl. Uh, I was always watching dumb films like 16 Candles where the best friend gets the girl in the end, which is never how that happens. Not ever. Uh, so, yeah, there was these things. Going, I was always the good guy in my mind, right? And the good guys get the girl. So as I dated different girls, pretty in pink. Thank you, Rocco. Uh, as I dated different girls, throughout my life i would i would do romantic gestures and those kind of things and that's always part of who i was so finally getting to where i meet aaron because I, I realize that i'm telling the story none of the rest other than the dream none of the rest of the time period matters until i meet her so i finally decided to get my life in order right i had tried college for a year at bob jones university it didn't work very well for me it it I didn't work it very well. I, I rebelled against the system. I made some bad decisions. It was a mutual parting of the ways. I could go back, but barely. 
So I was, I, I was just questioning everything because during the first two or three weeks of college, somebody I was really close to, James, James Spencer, died. And he had a, a degenerative disease. At some point, we knew he was going to die. It, just, it rocked my world. And that's a whole another story about how that changed everything in my life and why it changed everything. So I came home from that year questioning everything, questioning religion because this school was so religious and it never made sense and it was so stupid. And I have way too much common sense for religion. I just do. Uh, it's never taken very well with me. I, I did combat myself, right? I did believe some or hook on to some things that were not the greatest in the world, religiously speaking. Anyway, so I'm at a point in my life where I've left all church, essentially. I'd left my parents' church to try to find something on my own, went to a different church, found some of my own way through that, but still said, okay, I've got to figure out life. I've got to get out of here. I've got, I'm going to set a plan for my life. Screw this praying about it. Forget worrying about it. I'm going to set a plan forth for my life. And it's going to be, I'm an EMT because we told that story of why I became an EMT. Uh, emergency medical technician, which is the first level in Georgia. I'm an EMTI. I'm working for a living. I'm trying to get out of my parents' one-room apartment. Essentially, it's a, in a closed garage. It's really nice. It really is a nice place. It was a nice place to live. But I wanted to get on my own. So here's the plan. I want to become a paramedic. And then after that, I think I had one other idea I had after that of what I wanted to do. Of course, I was doing music. So I'm going to focus on my music. I'm going to focus on becoming a paramedic, really solidify my life, and do nothing to rock the boat. That worked for about a week, and I'm working in this small community where the prospects of meeting somebody are slim, right? You're talking about a small country hospital. You're, you're talking about a small EMS service where there's no way I was really going to be interested in anybody there. And I was naive and I was new. And I mean, I would, I would go into anytime the tones dropped instead of unzipping my pants and tucking in my uniform in front of everybody. Cause I mean, what, who gives a shit, right? It's just underwear. It's just boxers, whatever. You know, I would go into the other room and do it. Cause I was, it, it, and they gave me great, good natured grief and gave me a hard time. I would turn red if you mentioned the word sex around me. My cheeks would turn red. I'd get embarrassed. It, it, was, it, was, it was a thing. This one day, my partner and I, who he was the known sex hound of EMS. I mean, he slept his way through every hospital we went around and then some, right? He, he was an unapologetic whore, except he didn't get paid. So I guess whores are better. I, I don't know. Uh, he was a nice guy. But, he, yeah, he was the opposite of, of me in every which way. Uh, and he was already almost 40. I was 22, 23 at the time, somewhere in there. And he was like 38, 39, somewhere in there. I don't remember. Anyway, we go to the hospital to pick up a patient. Uh, we're doing a non-emergency transport. And of course, the first thing we do is we walk in and we talk to the nurses and we, we get the information. Then we go and get our stretcher and, and you know, maybe we even go talk to the patient first, but then we go get our stretcher and pick them up. It's not an emergency. It's going from one hospital to another or to a nursing home, something like that. And I noticed uh, standing there as we're walking in, I noticed this person coming across the parking lot. I tend to be very paranoid uh, especially back then, uh, what was the movie? 
man, there was a movie that sank home. Besides Heat, Heat sank home with me. And that's that's kind of a bad movie to base your life on. Heat, uh, never have anything in your life that you can't walk away from in thirty seconds or less. Uh, that that one sank home for a while. It, it helped me feel safe and comfortable and and those kind of things. But there's one where you don't, you never leave your back to the door. And I never would. I'd always be aware of my surroundings. I'd always be. I was literally always looking for trouble. Literally. Yeah, was it? Yeah. I was always scanning the area. always had my head on a swivel. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And I had to phrase at one time early in my podcasting career, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you, which is two knots in there. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I, I stayed aware of my surroundings and this, and I noticed this person coming across, but I didn't really focus on them. So we got the paperwork, whatever, went out to get the stretcher. And about that time, the person had made it across and they went to open the door and I still wasn't paying that much attention to them. And we go to walk in and now I'm, I can fluff it up. I can be exaggerative. I can add that, oh, uh, you know, music played and time slowed down and the wind started blowing. But then reality was, the dream kicked in instantly, instantly. As we we're walking, I look and I, I let me back up here. Let me back up here. I never, I was never the sex guy. Okay, I, uh, I kind of honestly, I kind of am now. I mean, I, I flipped. I've embraced that I'm a sexual being, and and my wife and I understand that. Uh, and, okay, keep in mind, I never go. Oh, look at that girl, she's pretty, but. My wife understands she's the most beautiful woman in the world to me. She's the most important woman in the world to me. And quite literally, she is the sexiest woman in the world to me. So while I can appreciate something on somebody else, you know, she's got a nice ass, she's got a nice body, she's got a pretty face, she's beautiful, whatever you want to say, she ain't my wife. And that's just the bottom line. Uh, and that that's not words. That that's a uh, uh, lip service. That's that's the opposite of lip service. I, I mean, if you really wanted to push me into details, I could go into details of why I know this, but I, I know this to be a truth in my life. So I I said that to say whenever I met somebody, I was always that gentleman, right? Being grow raised in the church, rather growing up in the church, and being taught to be a gentleman, and seeing especially working with the 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 schmooge guy the the whore the the sex sound who he would just come on he felt creepy a little bit and he felt dirty you know um i never wanted to be like him and i mean he he knew how to work women whatever so i was pulled back even more being his partner on the ambulance so i never looked at women other than their eyes and talked to them and tried to give them respect and those kind of things and this person who opened the door, of course, you know, it's going to be Aaron. But the, the person who opened the door, I, I had no idea. I, I went to say thanks. And for whatever, man, I, I looked her in the eyes. And I looked all, like you would see on TV, looked her down her body to her shoes and looked all the way back up. And I was like, holy cow. All right. But I am, I am this, mentally, I'm this 16-year-old awkward kid who doesn't know how to talk to women who doesn't know how to handle this, who does it? Then on top of that, I'm this human being who's been taught all my life, God does not speak to people. Visions are for people who hallucinate. Uh, there is no more prophecy in the world. These are things that were hammered into me all along. Where I stand now, some of it I can tell you, some of it I have no idea. Some of it still, 
I just play things by how they feel. And I never I, – I tried – if I find myself instantly being negative on a topic and trying to take away from you, I go, stop, stop. Uh, there's no reason for me to take away from somebody else. Let them have that. And because I have no reality and it doesn't affect me, blah, 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 blah. And yes, Angie, the, the word I'm looking for is slut. And if you're wondering how Angie's in live and you would like to be a part of that, as patreon.com forward slash rock out of podcasting, I record these live on video for an audience. And we're actually shifting it up to do it at night. Uh, it's easier on Mike and myself. And actually, it might be easier for you to come out and watch that. So you can check that out. So back to the story. So, and you're right, it is slut. Uh, he, was, he was definitely a slut. Um, so I'm not only going, I just did something 100% out of character. And I looked her up and down. Not just eyes, not just saying thank you to somebody nice opening the door. I mean, I looked at her physical body. I looked at how she's dressed. I looked at her. It was very much a TV moment of just up and down. And it struck me. And then I'm trying to process that was the dream. The hair, the shirt, the skirt, the shoes. That was the dream. Now, a scientist could say, and I've seen this. uh, There's some shows off of Discovery or, or somewhere that we started watching on Netflix. That's why I'm, I'm sorry I can't tell you what channel it was. But it's about perception in the brain and how you can trick the brain. And they take this gray square, it's a light gray, and then you put it on the dark gray, it looks dark gray. And it's this perception mind thing. Yes, I understand that as human beings, we fill in the blanks in our minds. But I also understand that what you believe is what is reality. And I know at 14, I had a dream based in a hospital. And it was in a hospital, even though the whole other thing, part of it was chaos in the hospital. And this and that. I was still in the hospital when the dream snapped in. And there was this person in sunshine. And I saw the shoes. I saw the skirt. I saw the shirt. And I could describe it to my mom when I was 14. And I never knew what it meant. Still don't know. But it hit me. I mean, it hit me like a tumor. And I'm trying to process this thing that's going against my religious beliefs as well. So you got the immaturity. You've got that. And I actually go back uh, to where we're picking up the patient. And I talked to her. I was like, hey, uh, there's this hot young girl that uh, opened the door for us. And oh, yeah. you want And they, it, see, I was the kind of the pet of the hospital for the middle-aged nurses. Because I was a young guy, I was obviously sheltered. Uh, I'm the guy that brings out the mothering in most people. You know, even today, you know, I love, love Marcy Rosenbaum. But I absolutely brought out the big sister slash mama hen and her and i needed it i mean i absolutely needed it when it was when it came out but she also treats me like a professional and a colleague so there's a there's depth to our relationship but i, I bring that out in in people who who want that to to n- nurture somebody and so i had that i had that in a nurse and and she's like i'll find out the information for you this and, that and the other well it turns out the slut partner was also trying to find out information about it well, it turns out she's 17 some of my slut partners like nope oh, hands off because at least he did have some lines and he wasn't going to date anybody who couldn't drink. I think partially because that's one of the only ways he could get her into bed. But, I mean, at least he had a line. That's all I'm saying. So life goes on. Moments go on. And I think it might have been that night even. Because I don't know how to talk to girls. And, and he, he once he found out she was out of his age range, he instantly turned to me and started helping me. Which is a nice thing. It wasn't like he was tossing me a bone or thought he's better than me. Once he figured out he wasn't going to try for himself, he was like being a nice guy and trying to help me because he knew I needed help. He ends up leaving a note for her 
unbeknownst to me. I had no idea. So at some point, like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, when she's already gone home for the day, I'm in the ER, and there's I look up as we're talking. There's a note taped to the, the door, to one of the cabinets. It says, Charles. I'm like, I know everybody who works at this hospital. It's a tiny hospital, and there's no Charles's there. And the whole system at that moment, I was the only Charles. It's like, is that? that? And I finally asked her, it's like, is that for me? It's like, I guess so. You're the only Charles we know. So I open it up, and it's from this girl. I still didn't know her name at the time. And it says, hey, back, with like a exclamation point or something. I don't remember. And signed her name, Aaron. And I'm like, what, what? And I'm trying to go, I didn't leave him. What? I don't, I mean, I'm so confused. And so I asked my partner about it. It was from back in the truck. And he tells me he left a note on my behalf. That was to her. And it was just something he said, hello, or, you know, it was something very nice. I mean, he. Honestly, for being a weirdo that he was, he really did this right for me. He really took steps to never push me out of my comfort zone in a bad way and to never do something that I personally would never do. He just set some dominoes in motion. So that was that was how we met. And then here's the first date, and then I'll go into being married to her. Because we can I could talk all day about dating her. That's why I said this is a part one, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, episode thing. So honestly, if you want to know about my dating life, that's a good question. That should be another show. Is uh I could talk about the few girls that I dated before her and then our dating life and, and how that went. And that'd be a nice little separation. But our first date went like this. So shift or two later, it's, I don't know, it's it's a Thursday or something. And it's sunny outside and I have my sunglasses on. And I'm nervous. And, and I'm starting to become social with the EMS people, trying to get out of my comfort zone. They were going to go to this club that was an 18 and over club, so I didn't have to drink if I didn't want to. And I mismanaged money, so they knew I was always broke, too. And that, that was a bit of a problem. Uh, but they're like, yeah, you know, we'll buy you a few drinks, but you can come hang out. It'll be fine. It's 18 over. So you'll have some, some girls, your age and this and that and the other. And it won't be the hardcore club slash bar scene that I was nowhere near ready for. So I'm making plans and like, Hey, why don't you ask that, that receptionist that you kind of like, why don't you ask her to come with us? I'm like, I didn't want to, I mean, I was scared shitless. Didn't want to go talk to her. I would rather just forget she ever existed. Couldn't handle it. But at the same time, I didn't want to look like a pussy. You know, I didn't I didn't want to back down from these people and admit I was scared. So as I do in life, to to prove to myself that I'm gonna do something I don't want to do, I went and did something I didn't want to do. Now I wanted to, don't get me wrong. I thought she was amazing to look at, and I thought she she I don't know, everything about her struck me. And so I, I still hadn't really spoken to her much. I think I'd spoken to her a little bit, but not much at that point. And I walk in, and it's still bright. Now, here's the thing. I remember, I, I fucking remember this. It's bright outside. It's the middle of the day. Think about spring day, right, when the sun hits, and it's just kind of, it's really, really nice, but it just kind of makes you squint some. That's how this sunlight was. And this is a big glass uh, entryway with light going all down the hallway to the ER. So... I go in, not even thinking about my glasses, right? It's bright outside. I'm walking down the hall, and I'm nervous as shit, but I'm going to play it Mr. Cool. So I'm not even going to go into the ER. I'm just going to stick my head in and be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Basically. And so I stick my head in and go, hey, 
a bunch of us are going out uh, Saturday night to this club. Would you you want to come with us? And she looks at me. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Back up. So I stick my head in. And before I can say, hey, she goes, she looks up at me and goes, hey, nice glasses. Did you get them at Burger King? <laughs> and I shit you not. The little robot in my head that drives my mechanical body went, ah! Run, motherfucker, run. <laughs> I mean, it, oh, my fucking God. I, I, I. I almost lost all body control, right? I almost uh, uh, ran. I was like, what the fuck? I, I, at this point, you've heard me talk about my damage, and there's a lot I haven't been able to get to in a lot of these shows. And my damage said any rejection is the end of the world. And while that was a rejection, it was like, holy shit, abort, 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 eject, get the fuck out. But I held it together for a second. I don't remember if I laughed. I have no idea what I responded with, like a laugh or a shrug or whatever. Like, hey, so a bunch of us are going out to this club this weekend. Would you like to go? And strike number two was she looks at me and goes, I'll have to ask my dad. I was like, okay. And I thought she, I thought, okay, we're done. I said, okay, sure. And walked away and I'm heartbroken. And I go back out. Of course, everybody's waiting on me. Like, well, well. I'm like, she, she, she said she has, has to ask her dad. And, and I'm like destroyed, right? Because I'm an adult. I live my life, and I'm kind of assuming that because she's 17, she has a full time job. She and she was working her full time in the afternoon. So is is like 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. or something like that. Three to 11, so whatever. She was working full time as an adult. So it just struck me as was weird. Or as a, I don't know, it just struck hard and, and not good. Well, it turns out she had plans with her father. Of course, I didn't know that her mom and dad were divorced. I didn't know that, you know, from time to time he takes her out to do things. They were going to go to the museum in Atlanta, the High Museum. And they had plans. And basically, she wanted to get out of those plans to go out with me. Well, it turns out, somehow we changed up the plans to not go to the club, but to go out on a one-on-one date, which... I was unprepared for. So I will talk about that if we, whenever we get to the dating Aaron show, but this, that was our start, right? Uh, it, it, everything in my mind went wrong. That could go wrong, but she was a beautiful girl. She was talking to me. She laughed at my jokes. Uh, she sent me notes back, you know, those kind of things. We flirted and she was the dream. I mean, there, there was, I didn't know what to do with that. So being married to Aaron, so I'm still very much the romantic, and I learned way too much shit from TV, as we all know. And so uh, I knew I had to memorize every single date. That was important. Well, she didn't care about any of that. Our first date, October 17th, 1999. Mm, Yes, October 17th, 1999 was our first date. And we actually, our second date was October 31st of 1999. Uh, I can tell you the movie we went to see. I can tell you the restaurant that we ended up eating at that her brother worked at uh, after the movie because it was just a fluke of circumstance and universe. And still all, obviously, all worked out. Uh, I can, you know, I can, I can, you know, obviously tell you when we got married, which was uh, January 6th, uh, 2001. And 
so we dated for just over a year before we got married. We actually got engaged about six to seven months into our, our dating life. Uh, I can tell you a lot of stuff. She has no idea what our first date was uh, or when our first kiss was. Now, she knows the night our first kiss was, but it's the second date was when our first kiss was. And that was, that was something else, man. That was something else. Um, it's always been me and her against the world from the moment we met. It's always been me and her against the world. Uh, she was seeing another guy. So here's here's why I told the story about getting my life in order. Because I wasn't looking to go dating. I was like, I'm going to be a grown-up now. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to get on my own. And I'm going to focus on my music. And then I'll figure out meeting some chick and this and that. Because, I mean, there's long stories to tell in the dating show about how I felt about dating. And it, it, it was messy. It was It was convoluted. It was damaged. Well... As I'm getting to know her and talk to her before we go out on our first date, or, or maybe while we're dating, she had a plan. She graduated high school early, and that's why she was 17 working at the hospital. She was going to go to school for, she wasn't entirely sure, maybe even a double degree, but she, her mom was a, radio, a radiological technician, so she did x-rays and, and ultrasounds and those kind of things. She was the tech that did that. Uh, Aaron was also interested in nursing. She's also interested in office management and she didn't necessarily have to focus on those, but she was going to go to perimeter college and she was going to study x-ray tech at first, probably because she'd grown up around it and knew it. And, and then she was going to maybe do nursing or office management. You know, she, she had this plan. And she, when I honestly, when I found out she was dating another guy, like not serious, but they were going on dates. Uh, I was like, no, that's great. I, I literally told her. See, she loved my bluntness. She loved my honesty because there's two things I did early on that should have scared her off that didn't. One was when she dated another guy, I literally said without thinking, good, they don't have to worry about you every weekend. When I when we want to go out, we'll go out. And it, if we don't, I'm not thinking you're sitting at home crying. She was like, that's refreshingly awesome. She didn't use those words, but that was her energy response her, her words were positive she's like that's cool or something like i don't remember what she said but i was like basically awesome then i don't have to worry about you all the time we can just have fun you know when the other thing i did was she went to at one point i found out she had gone to rockdale high school and it, that they had just done a tv special on pbs or somewhere and maybe it was dateline nbc or something i don't remember but basically in law and order actually did a whole show based off of this story. Uh, but basically a whole bunch of kids at Rockdale High School were having sex parties and got massive mega chlamydia and had spread STDs like nobody's goddamn business. And dummy me went, hey, you went to Rockdale High School. You don't have the clap, do you? And she's like, no. And I told her about, and not even picking up that she's getting weirded out a little bit. You could have called her a slut without even thinking about it being funny, right? Because you know all these kids were having sex parties and swapping partners and all this shit. It's a goddamn horrible thing. I don't understand. Never mind. That's a whole other thing. So I explained about the TV show and this and that, and she's oh, and, and she got it. She's like, okay, no worries. You know, I'm sure there's other things I did that was overly weird, but those two things didn't run her off. So I always made romantic gestures as we went on. But we both had plans for our life. And both of those plans got derailed 1,000% by meeting each other. Now, I became a paramedic, but I sure as fuck didn't grow up and become an adult. Uh, she, uh, I don't think she ever finished her degree. She started her degree at some point and then got pregnant because we wanted kids. And there's, there's stories with that as well. 
being married to her has been very, very interesting. The fact that there are still moments, even in the hardest times, I can remember things for her. Tulips. She loves tulips. I just shared a memory from the first day of spring yesterday. As of this recording, it was yesterday. By the time this is published, it'll be a while. But the first day of spring, apparently last year, I was out and about doing something and went by wherever I go to get flowers, Publix, Kroger, you know, those kind of things. Because she loves tulips. And you can really get beautiful tulips just about anywhere, in the South at least. You don't have to go to a flower shop. And so I, I got her this thing of tulips and brought it home to her. And when she came home and saw them, I got that picture of her, just the biggest smile on her face. And, you know, what that, that did for her that day. She has helped me open up my world to new things. Uh, obviously, we've talked about the, the healing and, and those kind of things. She remembers when I don't. She looks after me when I fail to. She was the perfect partner for me. Because I've never, ever mentally, as far as I know subconsciously, I've never, ever thought the woman has to be in the home and she has to raise the kids. In fact, early conversations when we were dating, maybe even early marriage, we I would talk about how uh, I wouldn't I would love to stay home and work on music and raise the kids. And she could work full time. And that caused some other fights and this and that and the other because I, whatever, I, I don't know. I, I could have said something wrong. I could have had wrong energy. Who knows? But I was open to staying home with the kids. Uh, we both never wanted to put our kids in daycare if we could help it. We both had, had bad experiences around daycares. Uh, I don't think either one of us, she might have stayed in a daycare. I I never really ever stayed in a daycare. But we saw bad things. We, we wanted to be more hands-on with our kids. That, that's, that lined up really well. So I never thought she... I, I it was never it was never the I'm the breadwinner she's the housemaker homemaker but the way our lives went the way that we naturally rose to the occasion was I do really well going and doing the hustle and working crazy hours and doing a 24 hour awake working on a show a musical concert where I had to go five in the morning finish setting up. So I had to get up at four something, but I was there at five o'clock in the morning to finish setting up. And then we run the festival all day long till 11. We start breaking down and it wasn't until 4 a.m. the next day that we were done. That happened. I, but I can do, I mean, that's, that's who I am. I carry the weight, what I bring to the table. Cause every once in a while in fun or sometimes even in anger, it's like, I do everything around the house. What do you do? Well, true. I don't clean. I don't do the dishes. I don't wash the clothes. Because those things are necessities for me. So when I need clean clothes, I will take clothes down and wash them. But I'm also bad at it because she pays attention. She invests herself. She cares. She has ways to make clothes really last and do well. And I forget. I am the guy who dumps his shit into the laundry, throws some soap in, hits go. Well, that can destroy delicate clothes. That can that can shrink shirts. That can fuck up a whole lot of stuff. And... To me, it's just a necessity. Let's get it going. When I try to think about it because of her, I do better. Same with washing the dishes. Is once they pile up and they stink, I wash them. And, and I know it's a bad habit. I understand that. But at the same time, I've got a million other things 
on the forefront of my brain. Sometimes it's just playing games. Sometimes it's sleeping. I'm not saying it's important things. I'm just saying I have things that rank in priority over that that are part of who I am. Where she will see a house and want to make it a space that's livable. She wants to keep things clean. Now, would she like some help? Absolutely. And we're trying to raise the kids to help. I was raised to help. Sometimes I do a poor job. But here's what I bring to the table. And I realize this lately is when nobody else can, I will. When she had to be away to deal with some family stuff, and even though it's two houses down, it was still very stressful, and I had to get up and take care of the kids every morning, and I had to make sure that my oldest daughter, who's homeschooled, is doing her schoolwork, and I had to make sure you know everything was taken care of through the day, and food was for people, and then you know people were fed. And I still had to earn. I still had to be the only person bringing in money. And so I'm getting up at 6 in the morning, and I'm going to bed 2 o'clock at night and rinse and repeat. I did it. And that's what I bring to the table is when she needs strength, when she feels like there's nothing left to give, I am there to carry. And that's why our relationship built the way it is, is that it was never a conscious decision or an upbringing thing of the wife stays home. She has literally said, while she enjoyed being in an office, when she was in an office, she is frustrated as are most people are really fucking good at what they do by not being allowed to do it. She is the most amazing office manager slash organizer I've ever seen. I've learned so much fucking organization from her that is a much better way to do things. And I'm talking about taking the time to organize all my cables and wrap them and put ties on them has changed the way I live. And that's because not that she pushed me to do it, but that's because I see how she organizes things and putting in some effort, a little bit of effort up front clears a whole path of doing later. I probably said that wrong, but it doesn't matter. So I watch how she organizes. I watch how she takes care of things. And she was great in an office. And she like, well, that's what I was saying. She's, she's, she really does have answers. She and I are peas in a pot. I, at one point, said I wanted to make a T-shirt and say, I executive produce life. Because I literally, she challenged me one point because I was talking about how I produce everything and I make everything better. And she thought I was being full of myself. Because I am. But at this point in life, I was embracing who I was and, and shouting it to the rooftops because, God damn, if I don't tell you how good I am, how are you going to know how good I am? And I was learning that then. And so I was talking about how I produce everything, I make it better. And she says, oh, yeah, how come you never doubt me? How come you don't, yeah, how come you don't produce? I, I'm making a bad face. And th- she was more jesting, poking, but there was some seriousness there. She wasn't fighting, fussing with me. She says, how come you don't? Uh, help me with my grocery list. Oh, yeah, give me your grocery list. And I took it, and I don't remember the exact details, but I literally made it better. I executive produced. I went in with the mindset of executive producer going, okay, your, the way you organize this is wrong. Here, organize it like this. Uh, you're missing this. Here's how you see that. Here's what about this. And she's like, well, shit. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I put my money where my mouth was, and I did. And I've helped her, and there's been times she had to remind me, hey, do what you do for me. You do what you do for other people, do it for me. There's been other times when there's a misguiding thing there. But she is, she, I believe I have the answers for everything that I get involved in. And I kind of do, to be honest. If it attracts my energy, if it's a magnet, it's, it's, uh, it's not the movie, not the show Sliders, although that, that was fine. 
there is something that is vaguely in my mind about being attracted to something. And the only time you're attracted is when you're needed. And I can't remember the TV show or maybe it's something I read. I mean, Sliders, the whole idea was they jump from Earth to Earth. Quantum Leap, same kind of principle of he went somewhere to fix, make right what once went wrong. Yeah, I know the fucking intro of Quantum Quantum Leap. Man, I love Quantum Leap. Uh, Sam Beckett and all that jazz. But he, he would show up when he was needed in that person in that time period and fix it. And that's kind of how I am is if it, if it catches me, if it goes, and I, I mean, it's like a magnet and I look at it, it's because I can make it better. She's the same way. She gets so frustrated with different things, especially with public school of they're teaching things backwards, quite literally out of order. When it would make sense if you're doing math to learn addition and then multiplication and then fractions and then, you know, they'll, they'll teach it all kind of fucked up ways. And it's backwards. And she gets so frustrated dealing with some people going, if you just simply let me do what I do, ping, 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 boom. Now your world is organized and it flows a thousand times better. And she does volunteer with places. And there's some places that will let her volunteer and will want her to do more. So she does that. But when she was in an office working for somebody else, you know how people can be. It's, oh, I've got this idea. This oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, great idea. But they, they don't care because they're focused on something else. She worked for a lawyer for a little while as a, a receptionist secretary, I guess. Uh, I, mean, I forget what the official title was. Head bitch. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> she was kind of like Donna, I guess. And if you know who Donna is, you're awesome. I'm not going to tell you the show, but if you know who Donna is, you're awesome. And she kind of was like a Donna. And she was still frustrated there because she could only do so much because other people would fight. You know, other secretaries would kind of push back and whatever. Because here's the thing about me and my wife. Here's why we are fucking awesome. Here's why we can make everything better. Because we have no skin in the game. If you take the idea and run with it and never give us credit, okay, great. Because we just made it better. It doesn't matter if you fucking give us credit or not. If you go, oh, that won't work for me, okay, fine. It will if you fucking get your head out of your ass, fine. <laughs> you know? What I'm saying, there's no hurt feelings that they didn't take my idea. The frustration is when you know that you could do this one little thing and nobody will listen to you. When you know you can do this one little thing and not only do they not listen to you, they shut you down. As a creator, that is frustrating, and that's how she creates. The world's greatest temp, Angie says. Uh, she was a temp for a little while, and did, did great with that. Because uh, that's the other thing, too. We don't come in going, here's how I do it. Bleh. We come in, and both of us, she and I both have this amazing ability to learn your way and learn it very quickly because we've got no fucking skin in the game. And that's the biggest thing that people miss out on is we bring too much of our own self, too much of our own baggage to a job, to a, a relationship, to a whatever. And now, uh, you've heard, I mean, her and I have had our own baggage, and we've had the fights, we've had the dark times. But I'm talking about going outside when we're facing outwards. Because when you're inside, you're, the closest person in your life will always be the love relationship. It'll always be the thing that hurts you the most. It'll be the thing that hits all the buttons, helps you grow, move, those kind of things. So she is amazing. And we've talked about the ability to get her a job at some point. And typically when we hit those moments, it's because we're really getting tight on money or things are changing or, and we're going to lose money. But, of course, in those situations, it's like 
once we had two kids, now we have four. The first the first conversation we had was when we had two kids, and they had to go somewhere, and we lived forty five minutes away from everybody, so it had to be daycare or something. We couldn't afford daycare. Her mom worked full time. Uh, I can't remember what was going on with her brother at the time, but there's nobody to watch the kids to to be flexible to get a job. Well, just recently, fast forward to the most latest conversation about it, which isn't about the two older kids are getting where they can stay on their own. The younger kids, shit. Ryland, he is the he is so independent at five. It's not even funny. Today I was in my office, and this happened more than once. But today I was in my office. I Aaron told me she was going out. I didn't know she'd come back or not, so I'm not paying attention at the time. He gets off the bus at ten after two, fifteen after two, somewhere in there, and they drop him off right in front of the house. More than once, and I left the door open so he could just come downstairs. He's he's shown up in my studio. I'm, oh, hey, buddy, I forgot you were getting off the bus when I was supposed to be watching for him. Well, today it was it was a whatever thing. And I go up to grab some lunch at about 3, and there he is on the couch just sitting there, and nobody's home. He is so fucking independent. He came in, got changed, and turned on the TV and just chilled out. And it was fine. So anyway, the conversation has come up, and she literally said, I don't want a job. I, because honestly, we are both cut out for the entrepreneurial life. And that's something I've learned with her so much because all she ever wants is for me to be happy. And she'll pull, call my bullshit on bullshit when I'm being unreasonably unhappy about something or when I'm trying to find a reason. Oh, that was Donna's line. Yeah, she was the world's greatest temp. Yeah, you're right. See, Rock Girl, you're the best. You get it. You get it. You get it. Uh, Donna's the best too. And, and, uh, anyway. So I have learned through working with my wife, through working on projects, through honestly being a good husband, because she's told me you're being a shitty husband and you're doing all this stuff for other people, to turn my skills and my talents into our own house. And, oh, look, now we have a better team. Oh, look, now things run better. Oh, look, let's talk to each other about everything. And when I would want to have a meeting with my team, be it Success Freaks or now it's Giant Size Team Up Network, I know communication is important. It's more important in the home. And being married to her has been the thing that's taught me that. It's made me a better father, for sure. Uh, There are times when I've learned, the short version is I've learned that if she says something when I'm disciplining the kids, for the most part, if she says something, I'm on the edge of going too far. Or it's getting a little out of hand, and I need to calm down and back off. Uh, every once in a while, it's, it's just a bitchy moment because she's a human being. Uh, but for the most part, we, we've learned that. Um, man, you know, uh, uh, she just cooked this thing uh, off of Carnival Food. I think there's a show on Food Network called Carnival Food, and she. She's made these firecracker hot dogs where it's an egg roll with a hot dog and cream cheese and jalapenos and deep fried. Right. Honestly, while I like hot dogs and I love jalapeno poppers and I like egg roll wrappers, it's not something I would buy at a carnival or a fair or something. It's, yeah, okay. Well, she absolutely would buy it for me. Well, she made it for me. And I try it because I try everything she makes. And it's really good, actually. I really enjoy how she made it. And, and she's done it a little bit different than the recipe and, and because of, of the way supplies, food supplies were. And it's great. I love how she did it. She made – she's an amazing 
cook. Here's the craziest shit in the world, okay? Craziest shit in the world. She tastes nothing. She is a super picky eater. <laughs> she eats more chicken fingers in her life eating out than anything else in the world, it seems like. Now, she likes a good steak. Uh, she hates seafood. She's very picky about her food. She's very picky about what she eats. But she can cook amazing shit. Uh, I, I said she hates seafood, but we get tilapia. We get fresh tilapia from the butcher. Fresh frozen, whatever. I don't know. But it's from the butcher. And she found a recipe and doctored it up the way she knew I'd like it. One of the favorites in the house. Everybody about her eats it. And we just and we, we have to cook a lot of it because we just go through it so fast uh, on that one meal. She won't taste it. She has no idea what it tastes like, but she does it amazing. Pineapple upside down cake. We have literally sold these for money. When I was in an office and I'd bring them to the, you know how sometimes offices, well, in the South, an office will have what's called a potluck, which is you you bring something from home. You, some, you might call it something else, but it's called potluck. A lot of people brought, used to bring crock pots and those kind of things. And you, the luck of the draw, you go through like a buffet and, and pick out the crock pot you want, and whatever. So we'd have these at our office in Conyers. And I would always bring the dessert because it's too much for me to eat a whole cake by myself. I mean, it'll go bad. Because I, as fat as I am, and I'm overweight, uh, I definitely could lose, I could get healthier. I'm still a fairly healthy eater. So instead of getting a massive piece of cake and just eating the whole thing in a week, I'll cut normal human being-sized pieces of cake and eat one a day. And by the time a week's gone by, a quarter of the cake is gone, maybe half, not quite half, and then the rest goes bad. So it's too much. So every time I have the opportunity to get her to cook one for a group of people where I can get some, cook one. She has never in her life tasted her own pineapple upside-down cake. But people gave us fucking money for that shit. Because once they had it for free, like, oh, we're having this Christmas dinner, this Easter dinner, this Thanksgiving dinner. Would she make us one? How much does she charge? And me being the, the business guy that I am, I got her to give me the cost of what it'd make, and then I doubled it. I said it'll cost you $16. Awesome. The next person came on, it'll cost you 20 bucks. Done. And I left it there. Because you got to make a profit, man. And that's the thing about my wife is she's so giving. And she takes care of people to where she would never ask for anything in return. She, if, if we could live in a perfect free society where you just took care of people and things were provided for you, she'd be the happiest. As long as I'm making the money and I worry about the business stuff and I take care of it. She has no problem with profit. She has no problem with business. She would just rather give. So as long as I'm making the money, her dream job is to start a foundation that rescues old people, you know, gives them, uh, helps them get insurance, helps them get covered medical stuff, helps them get connected to charities for their medical stuff, uh, helps them have companions, not animal companions, real human beings to go in and be somebody to talk to, a human interaction to drive them to their appointments because so many elderly people just don't have that in their life to help them with their bills or whatever they need help with. And that's something she's done in her life that she really enjoyed was being a companion to an elderly person. So she wants to start a charity that that does all that for people and at the same time rescues animals because if she could rescue every animal in the world, she would. That's just her. And while I still... For the life of me, I've embraced this. I will never understand the love people have for animals. I mean, animal lovers. 
who just she she'll get down on the floor and love on her dog and kiss her dog and and I don't get that honestly. If he passes away, I understand why everybody's gonna be sad in the house. But I I am the opposite of an animal person. It's okay if he's not here for me. I don't I don't miss him. Hell, when she was gone for a while, I'd forget he was there. You know. Uh, now I take care of life. I, I I he's the life in my house. I've agreed to take care of, and I think I've said that before somewhere else. But but she would she would she would just rescue everybody, and and you could easily say it started with me. Easily, not in that TV funny way of. Oh, God, I fucking hate that shit on TV. When the woman's like, oh, I'm raising a third child, but you only have two. Oh, my husband. He, he, he. And no, no, not that I go around smacking women, but it does. Emotionally, it makes me want to beat the shit out of somebody when they say that. It's like you're you're dehumanizing your partner. When a man puts down his wife, you know, and I've made jokes about shut up, woman, get in the kitchen, whatever, but only at the times that she knows her jokes. Because she knows I respect her, and she is a partner in my life. And then, and she had to earn it, and I had to earn the right to be her partner because I treated her like shit, and at times she treated me like shit, and we had our damage, and we worked through it. But we've earned the right to call each other partner. And for the video, I apologize. I keep messing with my headphones. I just did a shower this afternoon and did my hair right, and it hasn't set. And I know it sounds a little pretentious, but I can't put the phone, headphones on my head just right, and they keep slipping on my ears. So for those watching the video, I apologize for that fiddling because I know it can be distracting. For you on the podcast, eh, well, you'll get over it. <laughs> so, ah, uh, man. She has always seen... God damn these headphones. She has always seen the best in who I am. Not what I could be. Never an improvement project. She's always seen the best of who I am. When I felt like a failure of my first podcast, because I was going at it all wrong, I just couldn't hear that and I couldn't see that. She pointed out, she's never hesitated to call my shit a failure. You know, she's no, this show sucks. I don't want I don't want to hear it. But at the same time, she says, but you're producing this is my very, very first podcast in 2004 called Pulling My Pod, which yes, is a masturbation joke. And it was full of dirty jokes and wrong kind of humor. And that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be the next Howard Stern. And it was a it was a dumb thing to try to do. And it didn't it never go it never came together. But she and she wouldn't listen to it. She was I, I I hate that you guys do that thing. It's me and her brother. Uh, but when you go and you produce it and you drop in those audio clips at just the right moment, and the fact that you can remember these random things, I'm talking about from Family Guy and The Simpsons and everything I've watched and consumed, I can remember in the moment. Oh, this person said this on this show, and now I would go and find it. Cause I had so much time on my hands then uh, that was wasted. It was, but this. Not this moment was wasted, but a lot of time was wasted. But I would sit there, and I would get the DVD from Netflix or something of of the series. And I, I remember at one point, I went through Family Guy a whole four seasons in one night, just kind of skipping ahead, watching, stopping it, recording clips, and putting it in, and made a whole library of Family Guy clips and Simpsons clips and and uh, Evil Dead, and, and you you name it. I mean, I probably had it. And I just knew the right moment. I mean, I was a producer in who I am. I am a producer. I executive produce life. I, I bring ideas and methods, and I make everything better. 
And what a producer does is they give you the idea and they catch your vision. The director runs the show. The producer catches the vision and says, here, look at it from this angle. Here, why don't you th- think about this? And brings different ideas and brings financial backing sometimes and other things. And she said that. she's it, That is an amazing thing that you do. And I love that. And that's the only reason I listen to this show. You know, it, the good of who I am, she saw that. And that's what it's been like being married to her. It kills me, man. It kills me to ever see her unhappy, especially if I caused it. But, like, right now, life is, is stress, and life is tiresome. And she's dealing with a whole lot of shit that I just can't do anything about. And today has been one of those days where I had a lot of work I needed to do in my office today. And then I have two shows late tonight. I already did uh, Breaking the Panel earlier today, and now I'm I'm finishing up Rock Out of Podcasting. And I had to tell myself, because every time I see her, she's yelling at the kids. And she's frowning, and she's m- miserable, and she's tired. And I had to tell myself I can't do anything about that. There's nothing I can do. Because I have to get this stuff done. This is the time that I have to do it. It's rare that I spend all day locked away like I have today. And we planned for it. I told her ahead of time. It's rare that that happens. And had she said, I really need you, I would have dropped everything and gone. But I hate going upstairs and seeing her just tired and frowning and knowing I can't do anything about that other than be there for her. And I will. I'm about to wrap this up, and I'm going to go, and we're going to chill on the couch, maybe have a little TV time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer her to get out with the boys in the morning so maybe she can sleep in a little bit. You know, little bits here and there, I'll do it. And I know she gets that because she'll randomly text me, especially when she's going through some 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 shit. Uh, she'll text me, I love you. I was like, you know, I, I, there are different responses. Of course, there's the Star Wars I know, and then there's a, the uh, I like you a lot from Jim Carrey, and, and, and you know, I love you more, those kind of things. But being married to her has been the sole most important catalyst to becoming who I am. She saw the rock gun of podcasting when she met me. She still gives me some grief about my ego a little bit. She's still, and she's a grounding force. Absolutely. But when I told her I wanted to be a rock star, when I grew up, she didn't bat an eye. You know, this is when we're first dating. Uh, she, her only thing was as long as the, you know, when we're seriously talking about family, you know, when we were first dating, she thought it was cute and awesome. And she came to my, she came to my gigs, man. She came to where I played. Because uh, I, as a band, I never took it seriously. But as a musician, I actually did work with some churches and some some groups to do music. Uh, always as a drummer, which is which is like the weakest of my talents in, in music. But for some reason, that always is how that worked out. Um, she's always believed in me. And I think of that Kenny Rogers song. She believes in me. You never know just what she sees in me. Ah, that's how I grew up with Kenny Rogers, man. That that you know, my parents sheltering me kind of ruined me for the world a little bit because I was a hopeless romantic buying into a false reality at some point, but I've made it happen. And don't fall in love with a dreamer. Uh although Kenny Rogers song and sadly mine I changed that reality. I changed that reality cuz I'm a dreamer, man. I've always been a visionary, which I didn't understand what that was until the last decade or so. I, I just thought I, I just dreamed big and saw big. And, and when people would poo-poo on me and and so I just would check it off because 
I didn't understand, but I knew the reality was there of I was a visionary. I had a vision for the future. I see the possibilities, and I know how to get to where those are. But her belief in me, I mean, her disbelief in me and my music crushed me at the time. But as I look back and see the path on podcasting and see what we've done here and seeing all that, when I get to speak in public, and which is often enough, but her seeing me speak in public is very rare. It is very cool. And to bring her all the way back to what I started with, when I caught her, for no apparent reason, watching my videos online, you know, watching the live stuff I do just for Iron Fist or for whatever, Pokemon Go, any of that stuff. And she's smiling, and she's loving it, and she gets it, and she gets me. And that's that's what's important. So that's that's uh, part one of 2000 of uh, what's it like being married to Aaron. <laughs> there, there, there's so much more. And yes, I make it about me, and, and it is what I can give to her. She loves my romantic gestures, man. If I can, it, it, little thing. One last story. I, one last story. She loves saving money. Angie knows this story already. Angie loves this story. But my wife loves saving money. And one night, I got a wild hair. I was coming home from work because when I worked outside the house, and I was on my way home, and I decided to stop by at this uh, at Kroger for some, I think I was going to get her. She loves Danish wedding cookies, and we get them every once in a while. And so I thought I'll get her some shit had in a while. And as I walked past the floral display, they had clearance tulips for like under four dollars in a glass jar. There's a good dozen tulips there, and they're beautiful. They they, they don't look bad at all. And I want to get those for her. now. Common knowledge, common societal acceptance says you never show anybody the price of something you bought. Right? It's rude to leave price tags on, especially if you talk to certain R. Mordant Mons about dating. Because I told this story on Success Freaks and he lost his shit with me. And until I, I, I backed him up and said, No, no, you, you don't know what you're talking about, dude. You don't know my wife. Shut up. And I got to explain what I'm about to explain to you. But she loves saving money, and she loves getting deals. So I got the cookies for her, of course, and I got the flowers, and I come home, and I gave her the cookies, and I had the flowers kind of hidden. I said, I said, I got you another two surprises. She's like, what? And I pull out the flowers, and, of course, it just melts her heart. She loves it. I said, but wait. And I turn the vase and show her the clearance sticker. You would have thought, and it didn't happen this way, but you would have thought, Dear Penthouse, it never happened to me. <laughs> you know, it was uh, right now, right now on TV, I saw it the other night, uh, Clorox or Lysol, somebody has a commercial where the, the husband's cleaning with these products or whatever. I didn't catch all the commercial because I don't watch commercials at home. I catch them when I'm out uh, hosting gigs at bars and stuff. And so I kind of cut this commercial across the room where basically the end of the commercial is the woman jumps the man and they like fall over the couch. And it, the tagline is, a woman loves a man who cleans. That's that. I mean, it, it, it's... It it is one of her fondest memories. She will talk about that purchase of tulips because not only did I buy her tulips, I got a deal, and it was a massive deal, and she got to see that and be a part of that, and she loved it. And and she does things like that for me. She's a great gift giver. The bobblehead, where is it? Where oh, I moved it. I've been rearranging my desk today. My bobblehead's behind me on the podcasting table. Uh, but my the rock out of podcasting bobblehead, she did that for me. She came up with that idea on her own because I've never thought about buying one on my own. I just thought it'd be cool to have one one day, and I've talked about it a number of times. And you know, she did that. It, it's being married to her is the perfect partnership 
we're we're both right all the time. <laughs> Even when we're wrong, we're doing the right thing. So, all right, enough about that. Oh, man, you know, hit me up, hit me up, hit me up. R-G-O-P at charlesmcfall.com. Want those questions. Angie, you haven't sent in a question in a while, darling. I'm just saying. R-G-O-P at charlesmcfall.com. Facebook.com forward slash rock out of podcasting. Twitter is at rock out of pod. G plus is Charles McFall. I think I've been definitely sharing the videos there. YouTube is Charles McFall, uh, for, for reals, yo. Uh, and you can, you can get these videos on YouTube, uh, as you, as I publish them with the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you for listening. Block talk radio is the host for this podcast and you can find it at rockgodapodcasting.com as well. All the archives are there. Easy peasy to get a hold of. I talked about the social media support rockoutofpodcasting.com forward slash support will let you one time donation, let you be a part of the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash rockoutofpodcasting. Man, if I am doing something that touches your life, if I'm entertaining you, if I'm bringing you something in your life, first off, please tell people about it. That's important. iTunes is on that support page. You can click to subscribe, you can click to rate. Everything is in one place for you. Uh, by all means, though, if you've got some, if you got some money and you you feel like this is your church or whatever you want to call it, by all means, become a patron, and you get more. You definitely get more out of the show. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for for sharing your moments in your life with me. And let's go co-create uh, this universe together. So for the video, I am about to to uh, fade out and fade back in uh, because, or for the Patreon video rather, because there's an after that's part of Patreon. That I'm going to spend uh, talking with Angie and whoever else is going to chime in. And uh, for the podcast, tune in next week. We've got some more awesome stories to tell. And if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, like, share, and uh, turn back time. <laughs> See what I did there? Share. Uh. Okay, podcasters and YouTubers, my name is Mike Woodard, otherwise known as producer slash audio engineer for the rock god of podcasting. Look, you know you're producing amazing content, but is your audio game as tight as it needs to be? If you need to level up the overall sound of your show, I'm your guy. If you need a kick-ass intro for your show, I'm your guy. If you hate the sound of your own voice and just need someone to handle your voiceover narration, I'm your guy. Need music beds? Need sound effects? Just go to mikeatthemike.com. Check out my demos and take a look at my rates. You can sound better than you do, and I can help. Mikeatthemike.com.